You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. German security services point to Russia as the culprit in last year's Bundestag hacks. Sentinel-1 continues to warn against black energy. The U.S. Congress looks at the now-closed Juniper back door and doesn't like what it thinks it sees. FireEye buys in Botus. Bell Aerospace acquires Wavefront. QuickHeal says it's ready for an IPO. And AlertLogic says it will be ready for its own next year. The cyber sector continues to watch the strange case of Norse. And finally, we take a look at the sorry wages of cybercrime. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 2nd, 2016. The 2015 breaches of Bundestag systems in Berlin, so far unattributed, are looking more like a Russian operation. An anonymous source within the Russian security services told Spiegel that the attacks were, quote, clearly attributable to a Russian military intelligence service, end quote. Deutsche Welle cites observers who think the deep game is destabilization of the European Union, with the playbook taken from hybrid operations Russia has conducted against Ukraine, cyber operations, exploitation of expatriate or ethnic Russian sentiment, and so on. Sentinel-1, having completed, it says, reverse-engineering the Black Energy 3 malware kit, wants everyone to pull their heads out of the sand. A company executive is quoted by the Voice of America as saying, This is cyber warfare. We need to wake up and see that this is war. Black Energy still seems an espionage kit, and the other observers wonder how it's implicated in what Sentinel-1 and others have called a widespread campaign aimed at disrupting utilities. Has Black Energy acquired some ability to manipulate control systems? This seems to most observers as doubtful. Or is it being used to harvest operator credentials? More investigation seems clearly in order. The U.S. Congress is turning its attention to the possibility that the encryption issue in Juniper products, which Juniper closed last month, may have its roots in an NSA-developed encryption algorithm widely suspected of having been constructed with an intentional backdoor. If that turns out to be the case, it may represent a security own goal. The U.S. government is a big Juniper customer, and the gear the feds bought and use apparently has a backdoor as big as anything sold to other customers. DDoS attacks have become, by many accounts, the single most common cyber assault on financial services enterprises. HSBC has recovered from last week's incident, but the trend looks like an enduring one. And not only banks are affected. The Elder Scrolls online game reported a DDoS episode yesterday. Any enterprise that depends for its business on maintaining high levels of Internet access for its customers is vulnerable to DDoS. Virtual private server provider Linode publishes a commendably forthright account of the attack it sustained at the end of December, including the lessons it learned in response. The motivations for DDoS are generally one of these three. Hacktivists who disapprove of an enterprise or of some cause connected with an enterprise often mount denial-of-service campaigns. 
Relatively easy and inexpensive to mount, DDoS ranks up with website defacements as a common hacktivist tactic. A second common motivation for denial-of-service attacks is extortion. In the early days of cybercrime, denial-of-service was used to hold online gambling sites up for ransom, and there's been some evidence that this form of criminal activity is enjoying an uptick. And finally, the third and in some ways most sophisticated use of DDoS is as misdirection for some other more serious attack. If you can occupy incident responders with a big, noisy denial-of-service campaign, they may well overlook, for example, your quieter efforts to gain persistence in their network. In industry news, FireEye makes another acquisition, this time of automation shop Invotus. This is thought to be a play that will improve incident response capabilities. Bell Aerospace enters the cybersecurity market with its purchase of Wavefront. QuickHeal is said to be preparing for an IPO next week, and AlertLogic says it's using 2016 to prep going public next year. Norse Corporation's main website is still dark, although its Dark Matters news page and Labs site were online today. Forbes comments on what it calls the chaos left for presumably former employees, quoting Norse's CTO as rather surprisingly saying he doesn't know whether they're still in business. Forbes also notes the investment KPMG Capital made in Norse this past autumn, and CSO offers what it calls a deconstruction of Norse reports on Iranian cyber operations. It sees such reporting as a cautionary tale of what can happen at the intersection of marketing and tendentious analysis. And we conclude with some news on trends from the cybercriminal underground. With the big losses businesses report when they're hacked, aspiring cyber gangsters might imagine that cybercrime is a royal road to riches. But not so. As is usually the case, crime is less lucrative than fantasies of greed suggest. A Ponemon Institute study commissioned by Palo Alto Networks paints a familiar picture of crooks taking the obvious lowball score when they could really earn more money with an actual legitimate job. The comparison with street drug sales is obvious. The retailer runs huge risks with very little prospect of reward. Not that we're encouraging IT departments to hire criminals, or for that matter discouraging them, but really, you'd be much better off working at a help desk than trying to set up as a behooded crime lord. The study suggests the typical cyber crook gets a bit less than $29,000 a year for an average of 705 hours of work. Granted, the 705 hours isn't full-time, but the pay is still not great. We're reminded of the scene in Donnie Brasco, where Pacino's character is trying to break open a parking meter to get at quarters. The wages are low, and really, you're going to break your parents' hearts. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. 
proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me is John Petrick, editor of the CyberWire. John, let's talk hacktivism. It comes up in the CyberWire fairly regularly. So what is hacktivism? Well, you know what hacking is, right? Of course. Well, a hacker is someone who looks for and exploits weaknesses in computer systems or networks, and typically someone who does that illegitimately or illegally. Now, there can be white hat hackers who are legitimate vulnerability researchers, and there can be black hat hackers. Usually when people say hacker, they're typically talking about a black hat. So what's a hacktivist? There are all kinds of people who take action against computer systems and networks, and they can be distinguished and classified by their motivations. So, for example, a uh, state intelligence service might hack for purposes of espionage. A cyber criminal has obvious criminal motives. What are they doing? They're looking to steal identities. They're looking to steal money. They're looking to extort ransoms, things like that. A hacktivist is someone who isn't motivated by money and who's not directed by a state. So a true hacktivist is motivated by political or religious or ideological considerations. That's a hacktivist. What's the general view of hacktivists? Are they looked upon as being uh, a force for good or, or, or good force for bad, or does it depend? It depends on what you mean. And if you look around the world, you'll see different uh, hacktivist riots, cyber riots going on all the time. There are a lot of, there's a lot of cyber rioting, for example, in South Asia. And you see what people call patriotic hacktivism going on with people swapping hacks uh, between Armenian and Azerbaijani. Describe to me what do you mean by a cyber riot. What is that? A cyber riot is when you have, it's like a riot in physical space, except it's conducted in cyberspace. So what's a riot like? It's when you've got a lot of disorganized people running around, breaking things, looting, causing disorder. That's a riot. And a cyber riot is doing that in cyberspace. So if you've got a lot of people all of a sudden defacing websites, uh, breaking into databases, things like that, and they're not doing it for any kind of obvious criminal motivation or for any kind of obvious, uh, under any kind of obvious central state direction, that's probably a cyber riot. And it's blurry because just as you have people who riot to uh, protest or to break things, You've also inevitably got the people who are running along behind the other rioters looting from stores. The same thing happens in cyber rioting. John Petrick, editor of the CyberWire. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again soon. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With Identity Orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. 
No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K Cyberwire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. Music.